Hey, welcome to Indie Music Podcast, episode 303, Mixed Translation. Indie Music Podcast now has a Patreon at patreon.com indie underscore musiccast. We invite you to become a member for exclusive benefits. For next to nothing per month, you can get members-only podcast video, early access to upcoming episodes, merch, and much more. This morning, Matt and I talk about mixed translation. I talk about how the brain is able to decode a waveform and discern individual elements from the audio. This is an important concept related to translation, and it may not be what you expect. Enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome to the Indie Music Podcast, the podcast for independent musicians and other audio professionals. We're your hosts. I'm Matt Denton, also known as Mojo of Ragged Birds Music. I'm a Bay Area mix engineer and recording artist. And Douglas Reynolds of Resonance Mastering, a mastering engineer in Bloomington, Illinois. What's up? Oh, I like that shirt. I've seen that advertising uh, for that shirt a couple times and thought, I'd like to have that shirt. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. I was just... uh making sure that I was recording before I said anything. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I saw this. I, I've had this for a couple of years. I saw it on uh, probably like a Facebook ad or something. Yeah. Um, you are blurry. Yeah, I'm fixing that right now. <laughs> I'm like, is that just my eyes in the morning or what? Cause <laughs> yeah, uh, I was had a, a portrait mode to uh, kind of blur the background, you know, but it's not focusing in on me oh. for some reason. And it didn't do that in my tests, but there, it should be better now. It's better now. All right. Look at hey. your studio's looking sharp, man. Oh, thanks. How's my studio look? <laughs> you have like the biggest plugins I've ever seen. They're so big. They take up the whole wall. <laughs> <laughs> it's that wall of sound, you know? It is. <laughs> oh, mine isn't nearly as photogenic. Oh, you're, the shred is cool, dude. No, it is cool. It's um, just a little messy right now. Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah. Is that a sign of being so busy that you haven't had time to clean things? That is absolutely correct, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Busy week. Yeah. A busy day ahead. That's why I was hoping to start a little early today because um, today Sorry. we are, I got a, you know, I got a target run. I got to pack the van and then we're shipping our kid off to Sacramento. And um, by the time this episode airs, um, we will have been empty nesters for a week. Wow. That's kind of a, that's a milestone step. It is. Uh, it was postponed because of the pandemic, obviously, and uh, seems to be finally happening. Yeah. How are you feeling about it? Um, ask me again next week. I will let okay. you know. <laughs> uh, I didn't yeah, think I don't want I was, you to start crying right now in the middle. I of didn't think I was going to be nervous, you know, because I've been looking forward to this for a really long time. <laughs> but um, I don't know. There's a little, there's a little anxiety. Yeah. I, I can't lie. It'll be fine. Yeah, we're nearing that stage. Don't know when, but um, but yeah, we're definitely on deck. Mm. If I have any pointers by then, I'll let you know. So, so I see that you are you're clipping. Am I? Yeah, your shirt says you are. Oh, my shirt says I'm clipping. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm still keeping it between the threes. It's important yeah. to keep it between the threes. That's the old school <laughs> VU meter. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so it's it's analog. It's analog. It's an analog meter. All right. Yeah. And, so uh, you want to push that because you get more character out of exactly. it. Exactly. You get more. And saturation. I've always thought you're kind of a character. You I know? am. So kind push, of a push that, man. <laughs> Got to push that character. <laughs> yeah. Keeping it between the threes allows you to have good uh, signal signal to noise ratio in the analog world. I see. Yeah. In the digital world, uh, your signal is generally so clean that it doesn't matter that much. But 
Yeah, I like I like that. I use a I use I think I've said before I use on my on all of my tracks I use a um, a saturation plugin. I don't actually have the saturation engaged really, but I it has a a really nice VU meter, and I use that to level match all my tracks before I start mixing. Yeah, and um, that's the rule of thumb that I use. I I keep it between the threes for okay. when I do that. <laughs> Basically, I like it kissing zero, but if it, if it peaks over a little bit, that's fine. <laughs> So we are going to talk about a topic of interest because you said, hey, what's the topic this week? And so if you ask me, then you're going to get a mastering topic. So that's just the way it goes, you know. And uh, I did notice that, yes. Yeah. And so we are going to talk about uh, getting your mixes to translate. And um, and what that means is when you are, uh, and this isn't specific to mastering, you can, you can approach it. Um, this mindset in the mix stage as well. And you should. I think. I think. I think you should. And, um, but I'm going to, I think I'm going to maybe, I don't know, I could piss some people off here today. Uh-oh. It's, it's Let's do it. Let's be controversial. <laughs> because I'm going to say that the acoustics in your studio really don't matter as far as mix translation. Okay. Well, I know why you say that, but please, please elaborate. Okay. Well, let's imagine for a moment. Let's 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 think about what actually happens. So you've got a wave, basically an audio wave traveling through the air. It goes into your ears, right? Yep. yep. And Matt's doing the wave thing. <laughs> I forget not everybody's watching now. <laughs> <laughs> and then if a stereo, you've got two waves, right? And yep, the two wave <laughs> thing. So what's happening inside your head? Your brain is actually translating what the eardrums are responding to, you know, which is really incredible if you think about it, because you're able to discern in your head that in that waveform, which is a single waveform of information, of audio information, that there's a bass, that there's drums, that there's a guitar, there's vocals, you know, you're able to separate all these things out inside your head and um, and hear them individually from a single waveform. So your your brain is actually like decoding that audio information on the fly immediately to us, you know, uh, um, you know, in real time. Yeah, you know, I never really thought of it that way, but that is impressive. Yeah. So that's that's really cool. So imagine, if you will, that you are in a untreated room. And uh, let's say uh, just recording some, you got a, a single mic, you're, uh, you're an acoustic guitar, let's say, and you're in a room with nothing in it other than the chair you're sitting on and your guitar and a microphone. Windows, you know, bare walls, wood floors, ceiling. Okay. And to us, you know, we are thinking probably immediately in a recording situation, well, that's not the optimum recording environment, if you will. Right. And the thing is, though, you could be sitting there playing. And really kind of enjoying that feeling of that room because um, with the guitar, you're getting that natural reverb or whatever, you know, but you're really not into that. You're not, you know, you're, you're more focused on, and it really, if you're not thinking about that at all, you wouldn't even notice the room. You're just listening to the guitar player, listening to yourself play, if you know. And, uh, but then when you go back and listen to that recording, you're no longer in the context of the room. And so now you're listening in headphones or you're listening on your system or whatever. And now the environment really comes into play. Now you really hear it because you're no longer in 
that environment. And so what's happening when you're in that environment, when you're, when you're experiencing it, your brain's actually filtering that stuff out and decoding it. So you're just hearing what you wanted to select to hear. You're listening to the guitar, okay, in the room. And the, the brain isn't focusing on the, uh, the environment, the reverberation and, and things that you're getting in that, in, you know, in that room in, uh, itself. But when you're not in the room anymore and you're focusing on that recording, you are very much aware of the room in that recording because you're no longer in the middle of it. You're in a different room listening to it. You're in your headphones listening to it. Okay. So mm-hmm. you're really focused in on all the material there, which now your brain is very aware of that that room environment characteristic. Okay. So that being said, we have the ability to put ourselves into a context that doesn't require the room to be treated in order for us to uh, decode and listen to and analyze audio information. We, we can prove that by doing that experiment, you know, and going, all right. So with that said, your room acoustics doesn't necessarily matter. Okay. And uh, you could, this is, this is where the ear training part comes in. If you are in a studio that's completely untreated and you have spent all your time listening to all your reference tracks in this room and you know what music sounds like in this room because you've practiced your ear, then no longer is an acoustic panel important in that context. Yeah, I wondered if that was where you were going with this, with the, the reference tracks and, and yeah. the fact that your room treatment doesn't matter if you know what music sounds like in your room. Right, right. And so that's a matter of really becoming intimate with your listening environment. Now, then, I'll, okay, so I'll back up. And because I think room treatment is important because your brain has to work harder to, you have to train longer, <laughs> you know, to get... Right. Used, used to your room, and, you know, and there's a lot more work involved in being able to isolate the stuff that you're interested in, you know, and so that's a long time of practice and, and a lot of different reference tracks and, and, uh, and be getting to a point of intimacy with your room that, uh, that you're at that. So you, you can do a lot of that work ahead of time and take that strain off of your brain by working on your room acoustics so that your brain doesn't have to decode that information out of all the room ambience. Okay. Um, so there's kind of a couple camps there, you know, I mean, you could, there, there's a camp of throwing all your money into room acoustics and there's a, a camp of don't, don't even worry about it, just practice. And, so, and I think that somewhere in the middle is a good place to be, you know, and, and to do what you can, the best that you can, the best that you can afford right. uh, in your acoustics. Do something, you know, anything is better than nothing. And this kind of segues into translation in that everybody has a different environment, okay? Mm-hmm. And everybody's brains process things in a different way. So the way that you hear something isn't, in the way that I hear something is going to be different, to you know, inherently different um, because of different environments, different speakers, different, you know, different abilities to reproduce different frequency ranges and things like that. So what is translation? Translation is knowing that some music sounds good because you've practiced in your environment. And it really doesn't matter if you go out and listen in the car or on other types of devices or environments, because when 
your practice to the point of, uh, of, of reference tracks and things like that and know that something sounds good in your environment based on other professional recordings sounding good in your environment, then your material is going to sound good in other environments. And Ideally, yes, that's, yeah. that's correct. And so, I mean, there's obviously some rules of thumb, but, you know, 20 to 30 to 40 hertz material, you know, information isn't going to translate ever right. on some systems, you know, on a Bluetooth speaker and things like that. It's, that's not the concern. The, the concern is that 20, 30, 40 hertz information isn't so powerful that when it's on a system that can reproduce it, that it's not overdone. Right. You know? So you got to be able to hear that in your own room. Or um, if not hear it, at least be able to be aware of it through metering, yeah. proper metering and, and, and yeah, and be able to see it, use the tools that you have. And uh, oftentimes it's a matter of feeling it, you know, when you're, when we're talking about frequencies down that low and uh, so pay attention to, to what you're feeling as well. But um, so I, I guess my mindset's kind of changed. Cause if you look back, like maybe, maybe a year or two of discussions that are similar in topic that we've had, um, I, used to be much more of a proponent of the car test and mm -hmm. the uh, listening on, on different devices and things like that. To be honest with you, I haven't done that in a year now. And I still think that's important for most people. I think that you have a somewhat unique situation in, in that your room is pretty expertly treated at this point. You, you've measured it many, many times and you pretty much listen either in your room uh, on your known quantity speakers very consistently, or you listen upstairs on your hi-fi pretty consistently. So uh, you don't have, and you, and you know your your environment and your music so well. I think that a lot of people who are um, not as not as experienced, not as attuned, will need to help. I mean, it's the training part. You've done the training. I think a lot of people are still in the process of the training, and they have to figure out, okay, how does this translate onto my Bluetooth speaker? How does this, what, what adjustments do I need to make in order for this to sound good on headphones and in my car? And you're right. It's that is taking the environment as the training, as opposed to taking reference tracks. I think a lot of people don't use reference tracks um, well or often enough or appropriately. And if you use reference tracks properly, meaning you take something that's been expertly mixed and mastered that sounds good to you um, and making sure that your music sonically relatively matches that and translates as well, that also takes practice. And that's attuning your music to a known quantity benchmark music as opposed to knowing your environment and your room or your headphones or your car uh, or all of the above. It's a different type of ear training. I think both are kind of important. But I, I mean, I see what you mean about if you know what your music or you know what good music is supposed to sound like in your room, regardless of your room. And I think that also qualifies, uh, also um, applies to headphones. If you know what good music sounds like in your headphones, you should be able to get music to match and translate anywhere just by virtue of knowing your monitoring, knowing your references uh, as, as well as you can. And that does take time. It does take practice. And it's not going to be a month. It's going to be. It's going to be maybe a couple of years. <laughs> right. And, and you do music, you know, all the time. You know, people who do this occasionally, they're going to want to avail themselves of reference tracks and they're going to want to go listen in the car. The, the thing about them, and, and once again, you, <laughs> your car is going to sound different from another car. 
just like your room is going to sound different from another room. I can have something sound good in one car and terrible in another car. Not every car has a good has a good stereo system, and that's just something you got to. Yeah, the, the thing with. is, I think there's an expectation that what you hear in the mastering studio is going to be what you hear in the car, yeah, or, no. or what you hear <laughs> on the Bluetooth speaker or whatever. And that's 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 so much false information right there. What you hear on the Bluetooth speaker is what that Bluetooth speaker is capable of reproducing mm-hmm. of what came from the mastering studio, right? You know, and uh, so depending on, you know, that equipment and where it's being played in, you know, and uh, lots of, lots of other factors, uh, like background noise and, um, wind noise and, you know, whatever, uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> if you're driving, right. you know, so your actual attention to listening, are you listening actively or passively? Um, True. you know, is your, uh, what, what, what's your, you know, what work is your brain actually doing in listening to the music, you know? So. Um, I guess the point is, is that you honestly don't have to throw money at this, okay? And I think that you can definitely work with the room that you have if you're willing to put in the time to listen in your room. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know, I post music I'm listening to all the time. And uh, because every morning I have a listening session, I listen to music. And I do that one because I enjoy listening to music. And I do enjoy listening to music as an active experience mm-hmm. where that's what I'm focused on. Right. And it's not a background. And so I spend, you know, at least an hour, like it's like practicing your guitar or your drums. I spend an hour in listening. I think it's very important that you always are listening and, you know, and, and paying attention to what you're hearing because that's part of the practice part. Okay. Right. And, um, and listening attentively and listening attentively on your equipment that you're using to mix on. Yes. Or master on, okay? And and then listen on other places and listen for the differences. To listen to the same things. Listen to those reference tracks in lots of different places. What's What do you hear? You know, I am into vinyl. Mm-hmm. And I, I hear things on vinyl that I never really noticed on digital before. Oh. And there's differences. And, and one of those things was because I added a subwoofer to my hi-fi system. Okay. And, and I never had listened to vinyl with a subwoofer before and I've had good speakers and mm-hmm. that repro- reproduced pretty low, but I didn't have speakers that reproduced down to 30 or so for hi-fi. And that information is on the vinyl and hmm. um, you know, and so listening to reference tracks on vinyl that I, uh, where I was like, wow, I, you know, I never heard that in that Pink Floyd album before or whatever, you know, and that's an interesting experience because that's an environmental experience. That's a translation experience that information wasn't translating off that medium before because my equipment wasn't reproducing it. Thus, I wasn't hearing it. Well, let's talk about that for a second because, you know, when vinyl was first very popular, you know, like in the 70s, there weren't subwoofers. They were just basically, I mean, stereo was still relatively new in the 70s and you yeah. were lucky Well, there to was have- Sirwin Vega 15-inch Sure, <laughs> but you were lucky to have a decent, you know, you know, a pair of Panasonic Yamaha or Clips or something speakers um, that sounded nice. And yeah, the you know, you'd have a you'd have a twelve inch woofer in those things, man, and and they would have a a woofer and a mid range and a tweeter, and you'd have them, you know, either you know somewhere on one wall. Basically, there was no surround sound, there was no subwoofers, and the big deal about mastering back then was making sure that whatever 
the mix was, was going to be properly able to be cut into lacquer to make the vinyl in the first place. And if there was too much base information, it would make the, the needle jump out of the grooves and it would just not be tenable. So yeah. um, part of the mastering, I mean, part of the whole point of mastering back then was to make sure that it could be, you know, physically cut into lacquer to make a, a vinyl record. But to, to kind of find out now that there's information that wasn't translating in the hi-fi speakers, but is tra- but comes out in a subwoofer, I just find that fascinating. Yeah, yeah I did too. I think that's really interesting because these are songs that I have listened to thousands of times over the years, mm-hmm. you know, and then to get something new out of that, out of a song that I consider to be a reference track and then... You know, uh, um, I, I thought that was really cool. Now, it's very it's, cool. It's kind of hard because there's been digital remasters, and so you're actually listening to something different. It's not the yeah. same reference track, you know. Yeah. So those are different. So if you listen, if you listen um, to the same song that's digitally mastered versus originally recorded and and cut, you know, onto vinyl, then those are different. And and a lot of it may be nuanced. Other things may be different. There may be different big things like the song orders are different on the album because the way that uh, vinyl uh, characteristics are for dynamics as you get closer to the center of the record, you know. Oh, that also the time thing where you can only have 20 minutes per song or whatever. Yeah, yeah, might even not have songs included on the vinyl that are included on CD and things like that. But Mm -hmm. that's beside the point. But um, (laughs) um, getting to that back to you know the translation part though so that's that was just an example of how the equipment can play a part in what you're actually hearing so you know in essence if you have an expectation that what you hear if you went and had your music mastered and you visited and had a, a session in the mastering studio and what you hear there mm-hmm. is not necessarily representative of what you're going to hear when you take your track home and listen to it in the car no and i i i yeah, I, I kind of, and I'm biased, but I kind of have trouble believing that somebody would think that, oh, in this treated, you know, pristine room that's made to be for critical listening is going to sound anything like my Bluetooth speaker or my earbuds or my car. Oh, I've, I've had it. I, I've I, had it. I, I, this, this, my song does not sound as good. There's not as much bass on this Mackie PA speaker as there is on my home hi-fi. You know, well, it's not translating, and I'm. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't think that's, that's not a realistic a expectation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, so, and I thought I didn't realize this was going to be such a, a technical discussion, but um, my my. You should have prepared, man. <laughs> I I haven't been up we as got, long as you. We need to study. I haven't been awake as oh, long. Oh, I was as working you. on this last night. <laughs> oh, you're making an outline coming up with bar charts and graphs, going. I'm going to blow him away tomorrow. <laughs> Um, well, yeah, I thought we were going to talk about, and we can talk about this for a minute, um, more about how to get stuff to translate. And, um, for me, I always go by that, that maxim, the magic is in the mid range because you can't, you can't rely on different mediums to translate bass and treble well, but you, you know, you can, everything has a good mid range. And that's why those, um, those Oratone speakers and the, the, you know, the NS10s, are are kind of revered as benchmarks in a lot of studios because they focus on the mid-range and if your stuff isn't there it's just not there and so you know if you want bass to translate to a small speaker you don't turn up the bass you make sure that those overtones and frequencies are represented somewhere else like 800 hertz 800 uh, or 8000 you know 
instead of just 40 or whatever. You know what I mean? So because earbuds will never be able to reproduce them, even if they're you know, bass enhanced, because they're trying to make up for information that it can't reproduce or tell it's there. Anyway, um, there are tricks you can use like that and like, you know, pair, um, like uh, multiband compression and things to make sure that you're your two bus isn't overwhelmed by the amount of bass information. And, and I think that um, one of the things that we have talked about with home studios is that so many people <laughs> don't realize that their, that their system or their room is not translating bass well. And so they keep turning it up and turning it up <laughs> because they can't hear it. And then they take it to somewhere else and, you know, blows out the speakers in their car or whatever, <laughs> because uh, they, they just couldn't hear it. It's not that it wasn't there, but if you do use reference tracks and, and, and proper meter, you can go, oh, I see that it's there. I just can't hear it. I don't know. Have you ever, have you ever watched a, a tutorial on YouTube where you have your headphones on or whatever? And they're like, you should have headphones on for this so that you can hear the difference. And you have your headphones on and they're like, okay, so now listen to me when I solo this, you know, this bass frequency. And I'm like, I don't hear shit, man. I don't know what you are talking about right now. <laughs> that because, sounds exactly the my same. my headphones, <laughs> it sounds exactly the same. It sounds like nothing. Yeah. Because my headphones are not reproducing whatever you're playing right now. Or um, it is it is reproducing, but it's so faint or you're not used to listening to it. You're not used to, um, your brain is not used to selecting that frequency out, paying attention to it. It's funny when you said that, I really hadn't thought about taking a, a waveform because we see waveforms so often that it's like, it's almost like reading a book. But to, f to think about how the, the brain decodes all of that information in real time, you can go, oh yeah, I can hear every single instrument and know what they're doing. It wasn't until I started playing bass and started like listening to songs and figuring out the bass lines of songs that I'd already heard. Once you start training yourself to be able to hear a single instrument, especially that particular one, because it's so far down, then you realize that you can focus on every other single instrument in any song and just listen to that. And it's, it's quite a trip once you go. It kind of expands your mind. It's almost like learning a new language or something. Yeah. It's funny because if you go and just visually look at a waveform, yeah, you don't see that yeah. individual information in that mixdown file. You right. Know? Um, and even if you look at all of the different tracks before you mix them down, you know, those aren't necessarily right. You might see some amplitude, like this is a really loud part on, right. on the, the kick or the snare or whatever right here. And you actually see that in the waveform because it was a real high dynamic moment, mm -hmm. you know, when in the mix down, you might actually see it, you know, but, but having a, being able to visualize that is kind of a tough thing to do, but to imagine that all of that information is decoded on the fly, almost instantaneously, you know, in your brain from that single waveform is really incredible i it just yeah, that kind of blows me away to think about it you know of, of what actually happens in, right you know, when you're listening yeah it's a trip <laughs> but anyway so what so no tips for how to get things to translate <laughs> well i mean I, I said practice you need to listen <laughs> um yeah i mean the main thing is is that when you are well in mastering and what you alluded to in the mid-range is really, uh, or what you mentioned in the, in the mid-range is really alluding to a larger topic of balance, mm. okay? And uh, which is what we're doing. We are balance yeah. engineers. And if it was 20, 30 years ago, uh, uh, we wouldn't be audio engineers. We would be balance engineers, okay? Mm. And okay. it's just coming to that. But um, the goal is to have a balanced mix 
and in your ear, you're able to discern the drums mm-hmm. and the individual instruments on the drums. Right. Your the bass, um, the 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 tone and characteristics of the bass, the effects that are being applied to the guitar or any effects in other the keyboards. Um, you know, so the timbre um, as well as the dynamics of that mm-hmm. and its its loudness in comparison to other instruments, and so th- that balancing and. So if in your room, untreated, your brain is able to, because you've practiced listening to tracks, discern it's a good balance, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. then you're going to have a really good chance of that mix translating anywhere because it's a well-balanced mix, okay? And uh, there's other things like dynamics and things like that that you're preserving or, or taming, as it may be. That's also kind of balancing. You're balancing amplitude of the uh, of the song so so work on on creating a very good well-balanced mix and you are going to translate well Mm -hmm. if your mix is not balanced and you have information you you know let's say so you're in a really nicely treated room and you've got mud Mm -hmm. that's not going to translate well okay so you're you're going to have a muddy mix that sounds uh, um, you know, different on different, uh, different types of platforms, you know, in that range, in that mid range, it's, it's not going to come through. And so you're going to have uh, more highs, uh, a, a mush, you know, and, and maybe no lows at all, you know, so, so you can't really tra- even think about having a good translation if you don't have a good balance mix. So start there. I agree. I would really like to hear from our listeners what uh, what challenges they have with getting a balanced mix in their environment. Uh, what challenges they have getting you know mixes and masters to translate across different speakers and environments. I'd, I'd be curious. Um, do you focus more on getting your environment right and practicing in your environment, or do you focus more on having your music tuned to reference tracks and what works better for you? That would be an interesting conversation to have. I think so too. I would very much like to join in that conversation. <laughs> and I, I, you know, not just to argue either, you know, I, no, I I'm that, curious. You know, I'm, I'm certain that there's going to, you know, if that conversation were to be had, that uh, there would be differing opinions. Right. Which is cool. And, you know, I'd like to hear those too. And what works for somebody won't work for somebody else, but they could both make it work in their own way. I just, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm really fascinated by the idea that, uh, Different people come up with different solutions to the same kind of problem. Yeah. But, you know, and I think in the essence of it is, is it doesn't matter. You don't have to throw money into this thing. You just have to uh, have and develop a skill. Right. And, time and is it, money. So you're it, throwing time a, at it or mental, money at it. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so if you put the time into it, you know, you can, uh, you know, you could mix in a concrete room. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you could. But why? Why would but you? Why? Want? Why would you do yeah. that? <laughs> Put up a blanket. Come on. <laughs> yeah. But I think the human brain is capable of getting to that point. You know, sure. uh, of, of of learning and development to be able to do that if you wanted. You know, but uh, yeah, I think some of this comes just from knowing that your brain uh, spends most of its time filtering information rather than finding information. Like the way it, you like hearing your name in a crowded, you know, noisy room. That's how you know that your your brain is paying attention to everything all the time. And it's most of its work is done filtering out stuff, not finding yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Think about having a conversation in a, in a loud restaurant with yeah. the person that's sitting across the table to you. Mm-hmm. That takes 
energy that takes sure. work that takes focus you, yeah you know uh you may not even be able to look away because you're using your eyes to help you uh translate what you're hearing you know right. anybody who's been driving and doesn't know where they are and turns down the radio so they can see better <laughs> <laughs> understands that concept yeah <laughs> that's funny so i guess that's a pretty good place to end i think, I think so <laughs> good well thanks everybody for listening thanks for tuning in i hope you're enjoying season three whether you're watching on YouTube or wherever or listening on your Bluetooth speaker. Yeah. <laughs> I hope we're translating well. Yeah. Thank you, Matt, for allowing me to dominate the conversation today. So, again. <laughs> As your topic here, you can go with that. Yeah. yeah whoever chooses a topic has <laughs> the terrible. most editing in post. <laughs> All right. Well, listeners, hey, thank you very much. Enjoy your week. And we look forward to hearing from you on social and uh, and in comments and having a conversation. Yeah, let's so, have a discussion. Yep. Well, cheers, everybody. Cheers. Have a great week. Bye. Bye. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Indie Music Podcast. Please like and subscribe, share with your friends, or just leave us a review on iTunes if you like what you've heard. Find our social links and episode guide at IndieMusicCast.com. Until next time, keep creating. <laughs>